Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice Chianti. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hello, everybody. How you doing? I'm Bob. This is uh, the Cooking Show podcast, and I have a new recipe for you guys that I'm extremely uh, satisfied with. But before we get into that, I want to lay, lay some foundation here. When you are looking down the barrel of a weather event, now, for all intents and purposes, you're, we're talking about snow, snow, ice, freezing rain, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it could apply to a rainstorm, too, if it's going to be like a really epic rainstorm, and it's predicted well in advance. But most of the time, I think we, we kind of focus this on snowstorms because of the immobilization factor of snowstorms. When you get a snowstorm, you're, if you don't have to be out in it going somewhere or whatever, then you're not. So you can kind of can look forward to being holed up, bunkered down in your house uh, for a while, and you can plan, look forward to making food that takes uh, a little bit extra time, a little bit extra care, you know, some comfort foods, maybe throw something in the, in the crock pot or whatever, or try something new, have some fun because what else do you have to do? You're going to be in the kitchen. Well, last week we had predicted our first snowstorm, not just this year, it would have been the first snowstorm in like two years. Cause we didn't get any snow last year. Last year's winter. It was the year without a winter. I mean, we had really cold weather for a while, but we didn't really have any snow. I think the, the biggest accumulation or could have been the sum total of snow. I don't know. It was like two inches. It was nothing. So, you know, last week, we had predicted at, at one point it was like seven inches for our area. The whole snowstorm system ranged from one inch to 17. So there was always like that, that possibility that we're going to get walloped, you know, like it changes direction the last minute. It sits over top of you for a while. You get more than what was uh, originally predicted or forecasted, I guess. That's possible. But you know what happened? Uh, we got, we got rain. We got slushy dirty rain for two days it was miserable and garbage but we held out hope and we waited and we planned and we did some baking and i made croissants for the first time ever and we'll talk about that recipe here in a moment but i gotta tell you making them like homemade going through the whole process they are it is an involved process and a lot of times with this podcast i kind of section off recipes into, or, you know, I, I divide them. You have your ingredient centered recipes, like where it's all about the ingredients, get the best of this that you can, or this type of this ingredient, whatever. It's all about, you know, it's not difficult to make so that the better the ingredients individually, um, you're going to get a really big return on your investment there. More authentic flavor, bigger flavor, more bright flavor, whatever, a little better texture, however you want to quantify it. But on the other side of the ledger, you have your process intensive recipes. This is where it's like, ah, the, the ingredients, they don't, they don't matter that much. I mean, obviously there's always gradations and variations in quality and whatever, but it's mostly a technically difficult or a technically involved recipe to produce. So it's not super important if you, if you use one version of an ingredient versus another, as long as you do the steps right. And I gotta tell you, croissants, are they are like the epitome 
of a process recipe because the ingredients could not be simpler. I mean, we are talking with ingredients here, flour, little tiny little bit of sugar, salt, yeast, water, a little bit of milk, whole bunch of butter, an egg, maybe a little heavy cream. I mean, very basic ingredients. And I got to tell you, I have a new appreciation for the croissant. And the fact that not only just the croissant and the people who make them, but I have a new appreciation for the economy of scale, the, the ability for a regular person to go to a bakery, coffee shop, or wherever else, I don't know, where we get croissants. And for $3, $4, maybe, maybe that's on the high end, you can get one. <laughs> you can you can purchase somebody's labor in the in the fruit of their labor for a couple of dollars. And yet, whenever you make them yourself, you invest a lot of time, a lot of labor into doing it. And even at that, uh, I mean, last week I bought a croissant at a Starbucks in a bookstore. Well, you know, not the not the best example of the item, but I think it was like three dollars and fifty cents. And it was smaller than the ones that I made, and it wasn't as good or whatever. But it was still, you know. You can give it to somebody and be like, hey, what's this? They'll be like, oh, that's a croissant. So even as cheap relatively as they are, relative to the labor that goes into them, making them yourself, if you want to put in, if you if you discount the 30 to 48 hours of, uh, of time that you invest in it, the cost of the ingredients, it's like maybe $10. You know what I mean? And you, and you end up with eight, or you can make more if they're smaller, or fewer if they're bigger, or whatever. But uh yeah, we'll get into uh, making croissants today. And you definitely want to check out the Imager album, the photos that are in the show notes, because some of these things that I'm going to talk about, about like what you do, how you fold it, how you manipulate the uh, ingredients, a picture is worth a thousand words. And I will probably still say a thousand words, but whatever. Go look at the pictures. They're cool. Okay, so and I am going to tell you that you know sometimes sometimes with these recipes I yeah you know, kind of maybe co composite a few different ones and bring them together and add my own twist or flair. Sometimes they're recipes that I've been making for so long that I I don't know where I got the recipe originally and I'm just kind of going with how I make it. In this case, I am very sp specifically using Claire Saffitz's New York Times recipe for croissants. And I'm going to have it in its entirety in the show notes, you know, the whole uh, list of ingredients and you know, amounts and stuff like that, as well as her explanation of how to do this. And the reason is uh, New York Times website is really weird. Apparently, you can pull this recipe up on the desktop and it's fine. You can just read it as long as you want. But then if you open it on a phone or a tablet, it want you to get a subscription to the New York Times. And I wasn't able to manipulate it into reader mode or something like that to be able to see it without the overlay of, you know, hey, subscribe for free for a week. And then it's, you know, $1,000 a year or whatever it is. So I'll just make it easy for you and put the whole thing in the show notes and, you know, whatever. So let's get in to, oh, and oh, here's the other thing. I Before we start, I did say that it's very simple ingredients and they're not as important as the process, which I stand by that. That is completely true. That said, you certainly can up your game in terms of ingredients like you can use the as the flour that you're supposed to use or they're like french 55 unbleached wheat flour you could use some really fancy european style butter and if you really get into making croissants and you're doing it over and over and over again by all means 
increase the value, relative value of the individual ingredients. But for the first couple of times, this is the first time you're making it, just use the basic ingredients. You know, maybe, maybe you get like a high gluten bread flour, like a high protein content bread flour. That'd be fine. But like I just used all purpose flour and you can too. And the results are still going to be really good. You kind of want to master that technique because, you know, you don't want to go buy a bunch of ingredients that are a lot more expensive than what they need to be. If, you know, you're not a hundred percent confident in turning out an end product that can really differentiate between the the quality levels of those ingredients. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm, I wanted to say it. So if you, it makes sense to you, great. If not, forget, forget I said anything, just get into it. All right. <laughs> so uh, here's how we're going to do, oh, uh, planning ahead. Definitely. I got about 30 hours total into this recipe. Realistically, I could have pushed it up to another you know, 18 hours beyond that, 48 hours. You can do it in 30 like I did and it worked fine. Um, I'm sure that the results would be marginally better if you add the additional time at the end there. A lot of recipes that are very time intensive, you know, things that take a long time, don't have a lot of hands-on time. You know, like it's a lot, think about making a, a pot roast. You throw it in the in the Dutch oven or the crock pot or whatever, and then it does the work while you do something else. You know, you do five, 10 minutes of prep and then set it and forget it, the showtime rotisserie oven type thing. This is, it starts off that way. I mean, you make the dough and then, you know, you ignore it for 12 hours. But then in the home stretch, when you're really, when you're making the thing, at that point, you pretty much have some hands-on time every hour for like three hours in a row. I mean, you, you do something for 10, 15 minutes, and then you take a break for an hour, and then you do it again, and then you take a break, and do it again. So in the home stretch, it's almost like you, you, you really can't get too far afield from what you're working on. I mean, obviously, you have an hour to kill doing something, but uh, it's not enough to really take on another project. You still have to babysit the process here. Okay? So. Without further ado, I'm very excited about this because they turned out great. And I was the whole time I was like, oh, man, I hope I hope I have what it takes here. <laughs> and I did. And they're fantastic. And uh, luckily, my my kids like them, too, because otherwise then I have to eat thousands of calories worth of butter and flour. And that's not my that's not the way I normally roll, you know. All right, so we're going to start off with ingredients. Uh, we're not going to have any special equipment, no special ingredients, nothing like that. Like I said, very simple. We just need your time, your attention. You need a rolling pin, but that's easy breezy, right? So for the dough, okay, we're going to make the dough day one. Four and two-thirds cups of your flour, all-purpose, bread flour, whatever. And then you'll need some periodically for just dusting your surface, Um Oh, a, a note about the surface. I did this on granite countertops. Sometimes, you know, people don't have granite countertops and they don't like working on the countertops themselves. They'll be like, well, I'll just do this on a, on a cutting board or a, even like a marble slab or something like that. And that's fine, except when we get into the home stretch here, we're going to be dealing with physical dimensions that are going to be much bigger than your average cutting board or marble slab for baked goods. I mean, even... On my countertops, I kind of had to orient myself so that I was overshooting the side portion of the counter and into the breakfast bar part because you're going to be working with a, a slab of dough that eventually, you know, stretches out 24 inches, you know? So keep that in mind. Uh, clean the kitchen first. Make sure your countertops are clean. Make sure you don't have a lot of 
clutter around because you need to monopolize some space at some point. Okay, so we're starting out with four and two thirds cups of all-purpose flour, bread flour, whatever. Um, a third of a cup of granulated sugar, a tablespoon of salt, um, go like a kosher salt. Uh, you don't want something that has a bunch of impurities like iodine and and minerals and stuff like that because we want this to be a very clean, not sterile, but uh, a clean like a clinical <laughs> sort of construction where everything that's in it is stuff that we know that's in it, not no random things sneaking in. Two and a quarter teaspoons of dry active yeast, three quarters of a cup of water at room temperature. We'll get back to this. Uh, I'm telling you what the recipe says, and then I'm going to tell you later that um, you need more water than what it's, it says you're supposed to have. I don't know if it's a typo or what. A half cup of whole milk. Also, let it warm up to room temperature. A quarter cup of unsalted butter cut into half-inch pieces, little cubes. Now, this is just for the dough. We're going to need a buttload of butter in addition to that, okay? And then, so that's for the dough. We'll get into making that. But then additionally, you'll need one and a half cups of unsalted butter. If you're using normal butter denominations, <laughs> um, three sticks, three sticks of butter, a little extra flour for, you know, dusting and rolling, that kind of thing. Um, an egg yolk. I used a duck egg yolk because my ducks are laying, but that, you know, just an egg yolk is fine. A tablespoon of heavy cream. And that's basically, it. maybe just like a little splash of water. I mean, do I really need to, if I say, if you're going to thin out your, your egg wash with your yolk and cream, be like, oh, I'm going to put like a, a teaspoon of water into this and make it, I don't need to list that, right? You'll figure that out. Okay. So here's where we're going to start. In your stand mixer, and I highly recommend using a stand mixer. You can do this by hand, but man, you're going to have forearms like Popeye at the end of this. Um, the dough is, it starts off very dense and you don't really want to have a lot of hand to dough contact once the butter gets incorporated into it because you want to keep everything cold and not sticky and smeary, okay? We got to be careful about temperatures here. So in your stand mixer, mix together all of your dry ingredients. That would be the flour, sugar, salt, yeast. Mix them up, whisk them together. Press a little depression into the middle. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to do this, but it, it helps. Put like a little bowl in the middle of the dough and into that pour your water and your milk. And then start this with the dough hook attachment on your mixer, low speed. The recipe says five minutes. There is no way that this is going to pull together and turn into a smooth ball of dough in five minutes. So I'm going to say 10 to 12 minutes. Also, at about the eight minute mark, take a look. Is it still crumbly and completely separated like a biscuit crust? That's the case. Take a quarter cup of water and drizzle it in there a little bit at a time while the dough hook is going until you can get all that dough to come together into a solid mass. It'll probably still break apart, like it'll form a ball, but then as the dough hook revolves around there, rather than stretching and kneading it, it'll be like breaking it in half and then recombining it, okay? 10, 12, 14 minutes, whatever, however long it takes to get yourself a nice, solid, pretty smooth uh, ball of dough. Once it comes together there, go ahead and turn the, the, the mixer off, remove the dough hook, take the bowl out. You can cover it with a damp towel or a saran wrap and let it relax for 10 minutes. What that's going to do is it's going to allow the, the, the gluten chains, like the proteins and the flour, to, to let off some steam, to kick their feet up a little bit, just to relax. So it's not as tight and taut and, and rubbery. It'll sink down a little bit. It'll also... 
Notice we haven't activated the yeast in like a little cup of water with sugar and flour. The yeast will wake up and will multiply in the dough itself. It'll just do so very slowly. But because we're drawing this out over the course of an entire weekend, you have the time for that. If you activate the yeast, it might be a little too vigorous. And we're not trying to really get like a big arise out of the dough. We're just... Uh, we want it to be slow and deliberate, okay? So after 10 minutes, it's relaxed a little bit. It's going to be very, very dense. Reattach the dough hook, get your bowl back in there, and turn the mixer on to, like, if you, if you did the first mixing on, like, setting one or two, you're going to be shooting for, like, two or three, kind of medium-low, okay? You have your butter pieces. This is, uh, what was it, like, three-quarters of a cup? I'm sorry, a quarter of a cup of butter cut into the little cubes, Dump those in there all at one time, okay? And then let those incorporate into the dough. It'll probably take another eight to 10 minutes and you'll wanna use like a silicone spatula to occasionally push down the, the edges of the bowl because that butter, it will incorporate into the dough, it will mix through there, but it'll smear around on the outside uh, or the inside of the bowl for a while until it gets taken up by the dough. So you press it down, or not press it down, scrape it down a couple of times and you'll be good. Once it gets incorporated into the dough, the dough will be not sticky. It also won't be slimy or greasy or anything like that. It'll just sort of be um, like Play-Doh, you know, like it's not going to stick. Um, it's going to be very dense. Pull it out, form it into a nice smooth ball with your hands. You can do this on a lightly floured cutting board. We don't have to worry about doing on directly on the countertops yet, but form it into a nice bowl, uh, uh, ball, not bowl, pour it into a nice ball and then using a sharp knife if you have what's called a, a lame l-a-m-e knife that's like a bread knife for the slashing the top of like sourdough you can use that that's fine i just use my nice little paring knife that i sharpened up and you're going to cut a deep plus sign into the top of the dough and then you can gently return the dough to the mixing bowl cover with saran wrap and let that rise at room temperature for an hour, hour 15, somewhere like that. I mean, the recipe says 45 to an hour. As dense as the dough started off, it wasn't doubling in size until about an hour 15, okay? Um, now, about that, your, your rising temp your temperature or time, I'm sorry, your rising time is going to be different household to household depending on ambient air temperature or whatever. In our house, we heat with a wood stove, so it's nice. It's a, you know, it's like 72, 74 degrees. But then I put it on one of the kitchen, you know, bar stools and moved a little closer to the wood stove. Not so close that it was like physically warming the bowl, but just so that it was closer to the 74 end of the spectrum as opposed to 72. Okay. Once you've gotten it risen to the point where it's doubled in size, go ahead and take your bowl and put it in the refrigerator. The recipe says from four to 12 hours. Um, err on the side of 12 hours. Basically, this is making your dough is the is the task of day one, and then put it in in the fridge overnight. It will continue to continue to cold proof, and uh, you know the the yeast will continue working, albeit very slowly in the cold environment. Um, but it will mature that dough. Otherwise, you're going to be working on this in the middle of the night, depending on what time you start. So just let it go overnight, and we'll pick up. The following day <laughs> all right following day take your dough out of the refrigerator take it out of the bowl onto a lightly floured again cutting board because it's not going to be real big yet 
and press it down into roughly a square shape. Chances are, I mean, I don't see how you'd do this otherwise, it's going to be a squared circle. It's going to be a round wreck, as they as they call it, um, like a, an app icon on, on an iPhone, you know. This is one recipe, which I can't think of ever having done this for anything else, where I made ample use of a tape measure, okay? So I have a tape measure. You press it down, and with your rolling pin, you kind of gently roll it into a rounded rectangle or square, and you want to get that so that it is eight inches on each side, okay? So you have an eight-inch square block of dough, all right? Now, you can um, put that on a baking sheet lined with parchment paper. You can put it between two pieces of parchment paper or whatever uh, on a plate lined with parchment paper and put it in the refrigerator and get out your three sticks of butter, okay? And this is this is fun. This next part, I never have never done this before, and it was it was fun and interesting, and it worked great. So take two sheets of parchment paper. I mean, if you, if you, if it's if you have a roll of parchment paper and you have to like cut it, then that's fine. Get two pieces of parchment paper, roughly eighteen inches long. We have the parchment paper where they're all individual sheets, so I get two of those. Lay one down on the counter and line up three sticks of butter. What would you call it? Parallel to each other, so like lengthwise next to each other as like a little square put the other piece of parchment paper over top and then with your rolling pen you're not going to roll the butter out you're going to pound the butter out you don't got to do it really hard you know don't you're not like winding up and clunk 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 just sharp forceful like thump 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 hundreds and hundreds of times <laughs> um, that's going to flatten the butter out it'll cause the three sticks of butter to fuse together and then you're going to basically pound it out into um, into a square again eight inches square roughly the same size as the slab of dough that you rolled out and uh, as it flattens out you can you can do a little bit of rolling just to make it even and to press the edges out in a specific direction so that you can get this eight inch square brick of butter um, the reason you don't want to just do it all with rolling is that the warmth the relative warmth of the rolling pin in constant contact with the butter will warm the butter up more than you want it to be and you don't want it to be smeary or melting or anything like that so with these lots of sharp little pounding actions with the uh, rolling pin. Um, we'll flatten that out the way you want it to flatten out. So what you're doing there is you're creating what's called the brick. And that brick is going to go into the dough. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna envelop the, the brick with the dough and that is gonna start the lamination process. So what makes croissants magical is the layer after layer after layer of dough and butter, dough and butter, dough and butter thin layers like uh, phyllo dough or puff pastry, but you're doing it by hand. So you're getting all this lamination of uh, dough and butter by virtue of enclosing the butter in the dough and then rolling and pounding out the whole slab, folding it strategically and doing it over and over and over again over the course of like hours and hours and hours. Okay. When we're ready to get into the home stretch, okay, take out your eight inch square brick of dough from the refrigerator, lay it down on a floured surface. At this point, we're gonna do it on the countertop, okay? Lightly dust your rolling pin. Now, the recipe says to do this between pieces of plastic wrap. I can't imagine having done it you know, with saran wrap. That would have been a pain. It would have been difficult. The dough, because you mixed 
butter into the dough. And because the dough is not super hydrated, it's not like real floppy like pizza dough. It's not sticky and it's, uh, it's really easy to work with. It's dense like Play-Doh, so you can press it out into a shape. Uh, you don't need to wrap it in saran wrap uh, while you're manipulating it. Now, when we're storing it for a period of time, we will wrap it up in saran wrap. But you can just work the dough on a lightly floured surface with the rolling pin as is. Okay. So what we're going to do, we're going to start by rolling out our 8-inch square slab of dough until it is 16 inches long and 8 inches wide. Okay, actually maybe a little more than eight inches wide. Uh, and so you, basically you have your x-axis and your y-axis. You're going to stretch it by rolling and tapping and pounding it out with the rolling pin until you have a rectangle eight to nine inches wide, 16 inches long. When you've done that, you could also make use of a pizza cutter here because sometimes we're going to need to square off like the ends just because we want to start off with something as as right angled as possible. Like you don't want this to be like a big oval. You really do want it to be a square so you can roll it out to where you're like 16, 17 inches long, but it's not a straight edge at the end. Use your pizza cutter to just lop that off and set it aside. I mean, you, you, you can make like a little biscuit or something like that out of it later. Same thing with your dough. You have your eight-inch square rounded rectangle of dough. If it is, um, if it's egregiously not square, you can use your pizza cutter to cut the ends off of that. But what you have now is a piece of dough that is 16 inches long, a little more than eight inches wide, and a brick of butter that is eight inches uh, square and roughly, I don't know, maybe uh, between a quarter and a half inch thick. That square of butter will fit on the uh, slab of dough with certainly lots of um, horizontal room, you know, because it's 16 inches long. So, and you're taking up eight, so you have four inches of dough on one side of it, four inches of dough on the other, and then just a little bit of dough um, on the top and bottom where, it, where it's been pressed out, you know, maybe a half inch on either, either side, like overhang. Now, what you want, you want your dough to be cold and firm, but malleable. Like you want to be able to fold it. You don't want it to break. So make sure that you have a good, uh, and it should be roughly the same temperature between the dough and the butter. So you take your long ends of the dough and wrap it up over the top of the brick of butter and bring it to roughly the midway point on both ends. So like you're enclosing the butter in the dough and then you can kind of give it a little pinch or a press to, and you can stretch the dough, work it together so that you're completely enclosing the butter in the dough. And then with your rolling pin, um, tap it out to fuse the two together and then uh, roll it. And whenever you're rolling your dough at this point, you're aiming for dimensions of, now this is your combined butter and dough uh, laminate, 24 inches long and a quarter inch thick. And it'll be eh, eight inches uh wide more or less it'll 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 spread out to more than eight inches but you're basically going for 24 inches two feet uh, a two foot long rectangle with probably a visible seam down the middle um, from uh, where you brought the two ends of the dough together okay once you've achieved 24 inches in length you can use your pizza cutter to square off the ends and we're going to fold this in a way that it's considered a book. It's called a book, like the way that we're folding it. So you have this rectangle of dough that's 24 inches long. You grab, let's say, the left side, 
and fold it into roughly the middle of the remaining dough. And then the right side, fold it into the middle. And then you have a smaller rectangle with the, the ends of the dough where they fold it over meeting in the middle with maybe like an eighth of an inch gap between the two. And that is at the midway point. So from there, like two halves of a book, you fold them over on each other and you've created basically the, this laminate um, uh, slab that at this point, let's see, we get, it goes dough, butter, dough, dough, butter, dough, I believe. <laughs> is that correct? Uh, six, we got six layers there. We, let's see, we started off, we had dough, butter, dough, but like six total layers, okay? Now at this point, uh, you can press it together with the uh, with the rolling pin. You don't need to, you're not gonna roll it flat, but just so that it holds its shape and then wrap that tightly with saran wrap. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna put it in the freezer for 15 minutes and then out of the freezer and into the refrigerator for an hour. And the reason for this is we wanna very quickly reduce the temperature so that it sets and stays nice and firm. Um, by putting it in the freezer, but we don't want it to freeze. We want it to rest and at refrigerated temperature. So, you know, 15 minutes in the freezer, an hour in the refrigerator. And then it's time to break it out again, take it out of the fridge onto floured surface. You get it unwrapped. You have, it's, it's rectangular, you know, your book. When you unwrap it on the floured surface, let it rest for about five minutes at room temperature. That'll make it a little bit more malleable. And what we're going to do is we're not going to do a folding right now. You're going to beat and roll this slab of dough and butter until it, you're not you're not aiming for a specific length, but you are aiming for uh, a, a thickness of three three eighths of an inch. So between a quarter and a half inch, and it'll be considerably long. At this point, this is where I had to like angle it on the countertop so that I was running past the stovetop and onto the uh, the breakfast bar. It was, you know, it considerably, you know, it was more than two, two feet long, more than 24 inches. I don't know exactly how much it was, but you roll it out there until you get it down to three eighths of an inch thick. At that, this point, what you're going to do is you're going to fold it like what they say is like a letter. So um, in thirds, more or less. So you grab the top edge and fold it back one third of the length down so that it, you know, it overlaps itself and then you grab the bottom end and fold it back uh, so that it then lays over the piece that you just folded down and god just look at the picture so <laughs> i know that i'm not explaining this uh, sufficiently but you you do that and then what you've done you've tripled what you started with okay so now you're at i don't know you're i think i counted the layers wrong the last time because whenever i was thinking about this and doing the math in my head earlier at this point we were at like 36 layers now Press that together, roll it a little bit, and wrap it tightly and saran wrap into the freezer for 15 minutes and then into the fridge for an hour. And then we're going to do it again after it comes out. Unwrap it onto a floured surface. Let it rest for five minutes so it becomes pliable. And at this point, we are going to achieve our final form in terms of our rolled out dough. Beating and rolling this dough, we are going to attempt to create a rectangle that is 14 inches by 17 inches. And it's it's not that hard. Basically, you're trying to roll it out so that it becomes long. And then, you know, if you're overshooting, like if you have it, if it's 15 inches 
and 16 inches and you need to press it out at one more inch but then you're over by a couple inches on the other way what you can do is with your rolling pin not rolling it but just tapping it against the edges you can press those edges back in and you can knock you know an inch or two off of the width that way so you're going to roll this into a square that is 14 by 17 inches now at this point what we want to do is we want to um, cool it down pretty pretty remarkably so what i did because it was cold outside and like I didn't have a lot of room in the freezer, especially not for like a 14 by 17 inch slab of dough, like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't stay flat. I put a, a piece of parchment paper on a, a baking sheet, put the dough on that and then inverted another baking sheet on top of it and put it outside where it'd be nice and cold for like 20 minutes. After that period, your dough should be pretty firm, nice and dense. We can bring it in, lay it on. At this point, we don't want it to be a, a, a floured surface. Because the dough is so cold and because it is dense, it won't stick. It'll be fine. And we're not going to be uh, manipulating it or you know doing anything that's going to cause it to stick or misshape it or anything like that. So you lay out your dough here and it's 14 inches wide, 17 inches long. What we're going to use is our pizza cutter to trim any, if, they're, if the edges are not square, you can trim it off so that you end up with, but not more than an inch. We want it 16 inches as our, our, our longest coordinate, because then that 16 inches is equally divisible by four. You can get four, four inch rectangles off of that. So then you're going to cut these strips into, you know, four inch wide rectangles. And if you're looking at one individually and you go from one corner to the opposite corner, it'll create two triangles. Uh, I guess these would be considered isosceles triangles, I believe. And that is the shape that we're going to use when we roll up our croissants. So you take your, your dough, you make sure it's 16 inches long. You cut it into four, four inch wide rectangles, cut those on the diagonal. So you have eight triangles and then take each individual triangle. And I, I put the, the, the point facing me, like facing my stomach on the uh, counter and grabbing the, uh, the flat edge away from me and rolling it toward me like a fruit roll up. And because it's a triangle, as you roll it up, you're going to get these overlapping terraces, which if you think how many layers we had to begin with and now rolling it, that's multiplying the layers again by some number, however many times you roll it over on itself. And that produces your, your, your pre-done croissant shapes, more or less. Roll them up, set them on a parchment paper lined uh, baking sheet with the point side down so that they hold together into these nice little rolls. And you can make eight of them. All right. I made four just straight down the middle, normal. And then I uh, blended up. When I say blended, it's like I pulsed in the food processor some 60% dark chocolate um, to pulverize it a little bit. And then I press that into the dough that's facing up and rolled that up. So I'm kind of making like a pan or chocolate type of thing, but basically just having some chocolate spiraled through the middle of those croissants. So roll them all up like this. Now, this is where I cut a few corners on time. At this point, you would refrigerate these for 12, 18 hours overnight or whatever, if you want to. I did not. I went straight from this point into rising and, and then into baking because I was out of days on the weekend and we didn't get our snow and I didn't want to carry over into a Monday. So what you do is you want to, you want to proof these at room temperature, 72, 74 degrees. And the reason, because like my oven has a proofing set, uh, setting, but 
it proofs at like 100 to 110 degrees, that's too warm. There's so much butter in this dough that if you proof it at that temperature, the butter is going to melt and it's not going to be good. So you want to proof it at like 72, 74 degrees. Take a little pan of water, bring it to a boil on the stovetop, and then into a completely cold oven on the bottom. That'll add a nice humidity and a little bit of warmth in there. It'll be a nice, warm, humid uh, environment, but it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to appreciably raise the temperature of the oven because it's just like a little pan of boiling water in whatever size oven you have. But then put your two baking sheets of croissants into the oven for like two and a half hours and they will get a lot less dense they'll they'll fluff up a little bit they're not going to be like big pillowy stay puffed marshmallow men or anything like that but they will be nice and soft and jiggly and once you've gotten them to that point remove them from the oven and preheat the oven to 375 degrees once it's preheated Put your two baking sheets in there and bake those for 20 minutes. Um, the ones on the bottom might not brown as quickly. Oh, oh, geez, I completely forgot. No, don't put them in the oven. Ah, you got to egg wash them. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting way ahead of myself. While you're preheating your oven to 375 degrees, separate an egg, yolk and white. Keep the yolk. You can do whatever you want with the white. Not my problem. So get your, your egg yolk in a bowl with a tablespoon of heavy cream and just a splash of water. Whisk it around until it is nice and consistent. Like you don't want it streaky. You want it like basically a flat tan yellow color. And then with a pastry brush, you want to brush the surface of your croissants. And the recipe says to try to just get the, the horizontal surfaces where you have these terraced steps. Don't get your egg wash into there. Um, I guess it just creates a little bit more uh, visual interest, you know, with the contrast or whatever. But egg wash those and then, and then into the 375 degree oven for 20 minutes. And the ones on the top may brown. It gets shiny and beautiful first. And if that's the case, remove them from the oven and take the bottom rack up to the top for another two to five minutes. And they should be nice and brown also. Then take them out, transfer them to a wire rack to cool. There will probably be a considerable amount of butter on the uh, parchment paper in the baking sheet because some of it will melt out of the out of the croissants but uh certainly not as much as you put in there but just get them out of that so they don't get soggy on the bottom put them on a wire rack let them cool for a while not all the way because you definitely want to eat one of these warm and then enjoy within like an hour or two of baking holy cow they are fantastic. If you need to reheat any of them, you know, 300 degree oven, 300, 350 degrees for between five and eight minutes, will get them nice and soft and warm all the way through. And holy cow, they're incredible. I can't believe they turned out as well as they did. That said, probably not going to make a habit of making them. Holy cow, I had 30 hours to get, you know, eight rolls, <laughs> eight croissants. Uh, I don't care how good they are. It's not, it's, it's not a type of food that I eat all the time. We don't, we're not a big bread family and certainly not bread that is that saturated with butter. But man, it is cool to know that you could do it if you wanted. So I highly recommend it. Give it a shot. Uh, we got a snowstorm coming this week. Plan to make some croissants. And if you mess it up, meh, who cares? you're out $10 worth of flour and butter. Not a big deal. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week.